Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. I am your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. This is episode two of season one of the podcast. If it is your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if it is not your first time, welcome back. It is a pleasure to have you here. I'm always grateful for you tuning into the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing my friend Kafria Hart. If you had listened to the very first episode of season one, she actually interviewed me um, and I was just sharing my own story of what didn't break me and that was really living with genital herpes and just sharing my story of genital herpes with the world. So if you have not listened to that episode uh, and just tune back into episode one and season one of that episode. So I don't want to talk too much. Um, I really do want to get into the conversation. But before we do, let me tell you a bit about my friend, Kofria Hart. Kofria is a devout student of life and love. She is fascinated by faith, maths, science, logistics, leadership, and finance, all the things that make the world go round. She leads a full life as an engineer, consultant, wife, and mom of a neurological diverse household. Definitely look up that word. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. Hello, Kafria, and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Hi, Bianca. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are welcome. It is a pleasure to have you on here um, as like my first guest. Of course, I'm on the first episode, but to have you as my first guest. I'm going to be really transparent. Um, this is a really dear, close, very close friend of mine. How long we known each other? I don't even know. <laughs> Man, wow. We're getting up there now. Probably 10, 12 years. Is it? Okay. Well, I've been here 16, so uh, yeah, that sounds at least right. 10. It's at least okay. 10 years. Okay. So she's a very dear friend of mine. We, you know, we talk a lot. We have these great conversations and I just think she's just awesome um, just amazing and, um, just amazing person, just such a sweet, kinded person. And, you know, she's been through a lot and, um, she has been a great support to me as a friend and encouragement. I always joke and say that, um, she's like the karma, <laughs> that calm person. Cause I'm like, let's go. And she's like, well, you know, 
And I'm like, no, let's go. And she's like, well, you know. <laughs> so, but she can turn up though. Don't don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just a pleasure to have her as a friend and as it has her as a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much, Bianca. I'm truly honored to be here. Um, you know, I love you so much. Uh, I can say the same for Bianca. She she keeps me calm too. Um, keeps me on track uh, for when I'm just, uh, you know, doing too much. She knows that I can do too much. And she's like, uh-uh, that's too much. So appreciate it. One of my best friends. I love talking to her. So I'm super excited to be here today. Let's go ahead and get into the conversation. What is something that you thought would break you, but it didn't? It's a great question. Um, as you know, you're the queen of questions. Uh, so this question came up, of course, as we've been talking, and the thing that came up for me was I actually never thought anything could break me. I kind of looked at myself as indestructible, you know, able to handle anything, you know, typical strong Black woman syndrome. But then the more I thought about it, I realized that the one thing that I really thought would break me was actually letting go, asking for help, taking a break, resting, like all of those things that I thought literally the world would end if I stopped. The world is going to end if I'm not there, if I'm not working, if I don't do all the things, this whole thing is literally just going to fall off its axis and just spin off into the universe. And when I hit that wall and I had to let go, I figured out that the world was not going to end. As a matter of fact, that if I had not done that, if I had not actually let go, took a break, stopped all the things, I don't even know if I would be here today. Mm. It, it actually proved to be not only the thing that didn't make the world end, but actually helped me come alive actually helped me start living my life to the fullest um, to come out of that fear and to actually become healthier and uh yeah okay yeah, that's the thing can we just stop the whole podcast right there you just said everything beginning to end <laughs> <laughs> but um seriously though tell us <laughs> about the fear right because what you said is I actually thought nothing would break me Right. I, I feel like that's like kind of like a control kind of a fear response. But, you know, what were some of the things that you were afraid of if you, quote unquote, broke? Well, um, literally, I thought the world would fall apart. Um, so it just so happens that uh, where I had that, you know, kind of pinnacle moment, my world was already basically falling apart, to be honest. Um, I was just going through probably the toughest time in my life. I had, uh, you know, lost my son. I'd just given birth to a baby boy. He was stillborn. You know, I went through that. I felt like, okay, I'm resilient. You know, it, it happens. You know, people lose family members. I kind of uh, talked myself into toughing it out. I'm a woman of faith. You know, so I, I prayed, I was like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and boom, you know, like just kind of fist forward, cape flying behind me, 
flying back into, you know, work, you know, I have two daughters, um, you know, going back into supporting them that same year, I found out my youngest daughter was um, on the autism spectrum. So, you know, kind of launched headlong into that, you know, I had a, a pretty big team at work that depended heavily on me for, you know, the success of the group and the different initiatives that we were working on. So I just put all my energy not into healing and kind of rebuilding my life after such a devastating loss, but I just put all my energy into controlling all the things I could see where I could make impact, where I could contribute something that I considered to be very valuable, whether it was leadership or support. And I just completely ignored, you know, what I needed. Um, and I felt like if I stopped to get what I needed, all of these things that I stacked on top of me and on top of my shoulders, that they will all fall off and be destroyed. And why was that not okay? Why is it not okay for those things to be destroyed? Or why was it not okay for the world to fall apart? You know, I'm still trying to answer that question <laughs> to this day. Because uh, first of all, I think it's uh, just to be completely honest, like I think that I was... I had a very unrealistic expectation of what I was contributing to these things not being destroyed in the first place. I had an unrealistic expectation of, in my <laughs> honestly weakened, tumultuous, messy, unhealed state, what I was actually bringing to the table, you know, at the time. Because I think, you know, just going back to the fear thing, like I thought, like, oh my gosh. I have the world on my shoulders and I'm doing all this stuff and they can't possibly, possibly continue in this perfect way that they are without me. Um, and the truth is that in the state that I was in, I wasn't actually handling everything perfectly. I wasn't actually contributing this indestructible life force to all of these different uh, groups and, and situations. I was barely, I mean, honestly, emotionally I was like on life support status like I was barely getting along I found out later it it, it wasn't as you know I don't want to say foolproof I don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for but whatever I thought I was presenting to the world whatever I thought I was contributing it actually wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't that until I got healthier like once I got healthier once I took care of myself the, what I was able to actually contribute to the world and to the people that depended on me, the quality goes up because when I'm healthy, what I'm contributing is healthier. When I'm supported, I'm able to provide better support. When I'm on the edge and I'm fragile and I'm just a shell of the person that I'm meant to be, then what I can contribute is actually not even as strong. So that's something, I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of myself because that's like a learning that <laughs> took me kind of a long journey to get there. But, um, you know, just to get back to your question of like why I thought the world couldn't fall apart is like, I think I was fooling myself into thinking it wasn't falling apart already. <laughs> like, as I was falling apart, it's like, dude. So many good things that you said, right? So first of all, that's like a distortion that yes. you're thinking, oh, everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's just perfect. But actually it's not. Mm -mm. And I can totally relate to that because when you're literally in this, especially when you're dealing with, you use the perfectionism, right? 
mm-hmm. um, where you're trying to, you're having this mask or you're, you're trying to present to the world to something where you're really feeling inside. And the truth is, I think this is one of the most powerful things, but the truth is, I thought also I was being perfect, but the truth is I wasn't. But the best thing for me was to see that people still love me anyway. Oh yeah. And that, and that was powerful. But this, I think when you're caught up in this and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost as like what you're really doing is protecting you from falling apart because if you fall apart you know or if I fall apart then everybody will know the truth about me mm-hmm. and then if everyone knows the truth about me no one's gonna love me oh yeah no one's gonna want me kind of like you know discovering like for me the core belief at the time when I'm really struggling or when I do struggle is I'm unlovable or I'm insignificant or I'm unwanted yep Oh, 100%. Do you relate to any of that? 100% relate to that. I mean, there's definitely a perception that there's a gap. Like whenever I would put on this mask, that mask was there because the person that I perceive myself to be underneath it is not acceptable to the person, you know, that I'm putting on the mask for or the group that I'm putting on the mask for. So it's like if you remove it and you're, you're who you really think you are underneath it that they won't love you they won't accept you that they'll judge you um you know like i i dealt with a lot of like thoughts about being perceived as weak versus strong or being perceived as not having enough faith you know or you know just being this lesser example like it was i had this big thing in my mind about being an example an example of all these different kind of archetypes these characters whether it's the strong black woman the you know the engineer the wife the mother like there's these characters and I had these characters in my mind of what those characters should be and so in these big you know statues in my mind of who these characters are then you've got little me here cowering you know like looking at all these things I'm supposed to be and just like I'm not that I'm just a little kid you know, look, I mean, look, at the time I'm in my late 30s, I'm, I'm supposed to be grown. I'm supposed to be a grown woman. And I feel like a little kid and I'm scared. So I'm just going to, you know, look at my skills and look at what I can contribute. And I'm going to build up this image to kind of live up to these characters that I really that I made up. I mean, honestly, one of the things I've learned over time is that I was the one who built these things up. I'm the one who built up these expectations of all these different things that I'm supposed to be that are so much greater than me, but that when I just knocked all those bad boys over and just decided, hey, I'm showing up as myself, I was able to connect with more people. I was accepted. I got shown so much more love and compassion and other people even being vulnerable with me. Because I I even learned I was wearing people out, like at work, like with me being this, like, oh, I'm trying to get it together and I'm hoping that they don't know I'm falling apart. These people were like, man, I am so glad that, you know, you've, you've, you've been honest with me. Like, I want to support you. I'm dealing with this too. Like, it was just like, I didn't even know how much I was stressing people out. I was stressed and I was stressing other people out by how stressed I was. And when we all relaxed, I didn't want to do that to them. 
when everybody was able to relax and be vulnerable, we actually had a better quality of work, better relationships. I mean, me and my husband got closer. Me and my teammates got closer at work. Everybody was able to be closer, like once the catalyst of just me, like just me accepting who I am, asking for help, making a change, getting some rest. It opened a door, not only for me to get real connection, but for other people to get vulnerable. It's almost like I became the example I always wanted to be. Like, I'm like, oh, I need to be this example and this role model for all these other people. And then I'm like, oh, I'm a failure. And it's just like, oh, I failed. I, I let go. I'm weak. I've, I had to get some rest. And then even just by doing that, I actually strengthened my family and my team. And I actually became the kind of role model that I want to be. Wow. So, you know, what we kind of see more and people are talking more about in the world is when you're your authentic self, that's, that's the true role model. That's mm -hmm. what people resonate with. And I think that's why, you know, we, we do this podcast, like the whole tagline is discover the beauty within the mess that there's messy and there's life. And that's what we all connect to. And that's what people want to hear. People don't want to a polished version. Um, that's so good. I just love how you, you know, Kafri have just realized all of those things, but you said something you know, my little therapist ears were up. Yes. Uh, you said that you created these characters, but did you just create them? Did they just come from you? No, no, that's, that's good. So there's a lot to unpack there. You know, like I mentioned, I'm a woman of faith. I am a Christian. I was raised in the church and I'm from the South you know, like we're in the Bible belt here, people like I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and there's a culture. Um, there's definitely a cultural influence here. Um, there's a regional influence with what constitutes a good wife and a good mother um, and a strong person. Like I definitely come from a family where there's a long line of strong black women um, from and I'm talking about through tough times, you know, like we're in a season right now where, you know, my mother, my grandmother before me, I mean, they, they made it through the civil rights movement. They made it through, you know, times when, you know, women definitely are supposed to be more seen than heard, that you're supposed to keep up your appearance, support your husband, you know, like there's just a lot of things that um, the women in my, uh, you know, my, my ancestry, have had to overcome and then add to that uh, the Proverbs 31, you know, example that we have in the Bible about the woman that's, she's buying real estate, she's cooking, she's getting up early in the morning, she's making sure her husband and her kids are all taken care of, you know, like there's this, there's this expectation of you being this uber productive, you know, supportive, business minded, you know, like just all of these different things, like you, you gotta have the domestic, you gotta have the business, you gotta have, it's just like all these things, you gotta be managing your time, right? You gotta be getting up early, staying up late, you know? So it's like looking at the history, looking at just, you know, like I, in the South, you gotta make your, you know, you gotta make your husband's plate first with the big piece of chicken on it. You know, when he comes home from work, you should be there ready to take off his shoes and let, you know, him kick back and all that, you know, so it's like, I had all this in my mind, just bits and pieces that you just, you know, 
you sip on the culture, you know, one day at a time from the time you're born. And then that plus, you know, you know, I had a, I had some difficult things that went on in my childhood. You know, I was, I'm the oldest girl. My parents went through, you know, they had an abusive relationship, went through, you know, divorce when I, at, you know, at a young age and I became a caretaker, you know, of my, of my siblings at a very young age, just because my parents were going through so much. So it's like, I developed a lot of, you know, perfectionistic traits and trying to control things kind of that came out of that situation. So it's like, over time, I built up these characters at a very young age to see, to say that this is how I should be, mm. should, you know, yeah. should, it, should it becomes yeah. a dirty word for anybody who's in therapy for any number of times, should is a dirty word. Um, but yeah, I, all these things that I should be that I had notions of as early as seven years old, you know, yeah. what I it's, should be as a woman. Mm, yeah, because all of these messages are so, you know, and some of these messages, like you said, were very obvious and then they're subtle, you know, and, and, and the subtle messages are not just what you see, it's also what you don't see. Um, so for mm. example... Yeah. So for example, if we're talking about standards of beauty, if you just see, you know, generally white women and you don't see black, then you, you know, it's also what you don't see. Thank you for um, sharing that. Just, you know, I want people to know that it's not just all you, um, especially when you're dealing with like perfectionism, high achieving, it's not just all you. It's, it's so many things that go into that, that, um, get us there. And so I think that, you know, it's so it's, it's, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, it's, it's more complex. It's, it's more complex than, than we think. Yeah. Yeah. You hit something real quick for me like that. What you don't see. Oh my God. What you don't see. I never saw my mom take a break. I never saw her take vacation. I never saw her complain about how hard she had to work. Um, aside from when we just got in trouble for not doing the dishes, like, you know how hard I work, you know, I shouldn't be doing, <laughs> you know, my grandma either, you know, so I, I'm not accustomed to seeing strong women take care of themselves. Mm. I miss that. I miss that. I never saw that. I never saw that growing up. That's so, oh gosh, that's so, gosh, I feel a bit teary because um, it, it, it makes sense um, just for who you are and it makes sense for who I am because my mom was always taking me on a plane somewhere. <laughs> she was taking me since I was like, I think two years old. I don't know if it was younger, right? And so it's interesting now that ooh, as we're friends, I'm the one who's like, Kafria, take yes. a break. What are you doing? Yes. Like life is to be like, you can ask anyone who knows me. Like yes. um, I'm taking a break. I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how to work less. Like you have to understand that. It makes sense now. It makes sense why you're working all the time. And I'm like, why are you working? We need to take a break. Because my mom was traveling. My mom is in Gambia right now living her best right. life. Okay. 
<laughs> I love it. And I've seen your mom too. She's still motivating me. I'd be like, look, Marcus mom doing her thing. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, she's probably going to kill me, but I'm going to put her link to her, um, to her YouTube channel. It's on YouTube. So I'm going to put it in, in the show notes. Um, but you can understand, you know, how we learn and how we live. And so it's like my mom's in Gambia figuring it out. Do I want to live here? Do I want to retire here? You know, we're from a family of immigrants. That's how I moved over here, you know, to, to America. So it's so interesting. Just, it's just connecting. Wow. I just had to connect the dots moments on that. Yeah. Wow. Not seeing people take a break. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Wow. It was not a thing for me growing up. Mm. But it does help, you know, for those, I mean, because I know that it's common, definitely culturally from my standpoint, that you don't see that type of thing, especially in the Black community, especially in community of faith. Like even at church, people run themselves into the ground and you feel like you're working, you know, you're doing the work of the Lord and you're not sleeping. You just, you know, just it's for the Lord, you know. But one of the things that was one of those moments for me is looking at the results. Like when you look at what my, when I look at what my mom went through, my grandma went through, what so many people in my community went through, I've, I've seen the arc. I've seen what happens when you don't take care of yourself. I've seen the health issues develop. I've seen the relationships that can eventually be destroyed. I've seen the, I've just seen the, the mental and emotional health and stability go down, you know, over the years when people literally run themselves into the ground. And I've been able to look at that and say, I don't want that. And I don't, I don't have to repeat that cycle. Like mm -hmm. I can actually stop here and make a decision instead of, you know, cause it's like a train, it's like a train track. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, you're just, you're just on this track. You know, you're, you're dealing with, like you said, this complex coding, this programming, you know, but we're free moral agents, you know, we can make decisions and we can decide that we can get off this train track. Like if that's where that train is going, mm -hmm. I can decide that I want to go somewhere else. And I think that's, that's one of the things that helped me let go is realizing that I really did want a different result and that I was not going to get the result that I wanted doing the same thing that, you know, I had been doing and that my mom and the women before me have done. Mm. That that's that, what we call the intergenerational trauma, uh, you know, passed down the epigenetics and epige mm -hmm. epigenetics is in relation to actions that are passed down through the, um, you know, through generations, you know, coming, of course, that hard work, not taking a break comes all the way down to slavery. Right. And mm -hmm. so the, 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 the buck has to start with you somewhere. And, um, and I think it, it does show up because it is interesting because, you know, we both come from generations in terms of um, those that were enslaved. Um, you know, you're on the, you're on the American side and then mm -hmm. I'm on the Caribbean side. Mm -hmm. And so it's always interesting to see how there's some similarities and there's, um, some, also some differences, mm -hmm. um, just from that experience. But this, this work ethic is, I think is, is a big one. We just probably took a bit more breaks. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think the European, uh, uh, influence came in to take a bit more breaks, yeah. but, yeah. um, um, it's just really interesting. So um, what do you think were the messages from that 
you have you developed as a child you know all the way into adulthood and probably still might have Mm -hmm. um that came from seeing that type of that that Mm -hmm. that behavior not taking a break or Mm -hmm. or you know Mm -hmm. taking your your husband's shoes off what 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 do you feel like is the messages that you internalized what it takes to be good you know there's a there's this you know, I know a lot of people deal with not feeling good enough. You know, that's like a thread that runs through. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. We deal with this message, you're not good enough. But where do you draw the line and what's good? Mm. And then how do you not meet that? And I think that those were the messages like, oh, this is good. Like if you can, you know, work all day and then come home and cook a good meal and then keep your house, you know, spotless and, and spick and span and then keep, you know, like just, you know, never, never gain weight. Or if you do, you know, it's gotta be when you have a baby and then lose all the weight, you know, back immediately. Um, You know, your husband has to feel like, you know, he's being served like a king. You know, these are all the things that I'm like, good, 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 good. This is the list of good. Mm. And if I'm not doing all those things, not good. I'm not good. So it's like that shapes, you know, how you digest that I'm not good enough message is like, oh, it's because of this, Mm. because of this long list of things that are good that I can't do. I'm not good enough. So it's like your identity. (laughs) Yes. Back to my favorite thing um, is wrapped up in being good and not so much wrapped up in who Kufriya is and all the other great things that she is, characteristics, skills, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of that is, is, it's all about, it's all, it's almost as like, yeah, it's not being good enough, but it's almost as like, you're just trying to obtain this one thing yeah, to be good. Yeah. And not even looking to see, it's like something you're obtaining and missing what you have. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I never got that message. Like the, the message that you are intrinsically good and worthy, just you without a contribution. I did not learn that until I was an adult, you know, like one, one of the things that I, um, one of the phrases I love that I, I remember a lot, or think about a lot is it's about worth ethic, not work ethic, you know? So mm. it's like, I think about being worthy. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm worthy. I'm worth it. Like I have worth and value intrinsically, not just based on how hard I can work. Um, And I grew up having no concept of that whatsoever. Mm. Like it was all about what you're contributing, all about work and your work ethic. How hard can you work? How much work can you do, you know, to get to these levels of good? It was always about what can you do to establish the goodness that you bring to the table versus Mm. I am good you know, which is why people, you know, I guess I speak for myself, which is why I did not see myself as having any intrinsic worth because I just did not understand that me just being me created, you know, by God to be who I am. Like you said, with my own gifts and talents that unless I'm doing something to establish goodness with those things, that it means absolutely nothing, which is a total lie. Mm. take us through that how did you you know you're coming up with as a total total lie right and you kind of mentioned it before in terms of your growth and 
stuff like that. So where are you now? Right now, still journeying, still learning, <laughs> of course, um, which is what this show is about, which I know what you're about. Um, but where I'm at now is I know that I do have worth and value intrinsically, that God made me good. And that, you know, one of the things that I realized, I think about, you know, I think about seed time and harvest, which is a biblical principle. It's like you sow a seed, you know, and then over time it grows, you know, and I'm thinking about it like a fruit tree. It, it grows and it produces fruit. And that, that tree provides fruit. It provides shade. It's a benefit to the environment around it and the people that can interact with it because of what has been sown into it. Like it has to be taken care of and it has to be cultivated in order for it to produce this fruit. So I have shifted into a mindset that cultivating myself, um, watering myself, sowing into myself produces goodness for other people to enjoy. Instead of me like basically cutting myself off and working myself, running myself into the ground, all trying to produce this, this goodness, I sow into myself to produce goodness. Like I invest in myself. I love myself. Like I, I appreciate the fact that God made me this way. He made me to produce fruit. But the way I produce fruit is through my own health. Just like you, you know, like I said, just like you have a tree, a healthy tree, a healthy fruit, a healthy plant, it produces, even just in, even if it's not fruit on it, even if it's just the, you know, plants, like they, they take in the carbon dioxide and they give us oxygen. Just the plant being is giving, you know, to the environment around it, just by it being healthy. So that's where I am today is I, I have that paradigm about who I am and taking care of myself and how important, how godly, I don't have to feel guilty. I mean, cause just want to talk about those feelings. I felt a lot of guilt and shame previously on my journey. Anytime I did something for myself, anytime I stopped to get rest or, dis or said no, if, you know, someone came to me and then I don't have time or I'm feeling very tired and I'm like, I didn't feel permission to just say no. And if I did say no, I felt this guilt and shame behind it. Now, you know, I'm to the point where if, if I can reframe that no, because I still have to reframe. I'm not just like, <laughs> I'm still growing up in that area. I sometimes might for a minute still feel guilty about saying no. And I'm sure a lot of people do. But I quickly now reframe that no to saying yes to myself, to saying yes to my tree. Like I'm saying no to water myself. I'm saying no to make sure that my fruit can continue to bloom. Like if I really want to help someone, I have to continue to be healthy. I have to continue to just be who God made me to be. And that's it. Being, just being is enough to, to give. So that's how I, I process things now to get back to it. Cause it's still not easy for me. Cause it's, it's been a long time. It was probably 35 years of the wrong thinking. And then five, you know, six years of growing up exponentially in this area so yeah that's where I'm at I love that how did you get there where you are now who help <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of help um so that break you know just you know like the thing when I the, my biggest let go and I remember like we we had we, this is actually a conversation that we had um eventually I did crash like after after my son passed and I put on that cape and just whoo you know super girl, super worker, super Christian. 
I did crash about six months later. Um, I became depressed and, you know, really going through a lot. And uh, I remember talking to you and, you know, I ended up getting into a program, a mental health program. And when you told me I was going to have to take probably six to eight weeks off of work. And I, in my mind, you know, if the head explode emoji, I was like, that is not going to happen. There's absolutely no way I can take six to eight weeks off of work. None. That is a zero. Zero. But I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, you know what? One thing that you can tell yourself right now is that whatever you think is, is going to be the way you're going to get through this, you already tried that this past six months and it has not worked. So try something different. And I was like, chances are, and this is, actually look, this is why it's good to have friends you can trust. I said, chances are uh, with Bianca actually having some experience and knowing what she's doing and being a professional, chances are that she's right and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just a slight chance, you know. And I'm a statistics person. So my whole mathematical degree is all about statistics. Statistically speaking, you're probably wrong, Kafria. Um, and, I and I took Bianca's advice and I actually went into the program and I took eight weeks off of work. And I let the chips fall where they may in the name of needing to get a different result because I run myself into the ground. I mean, mm -hmm. I was completely depressed. I was so anxious that I couldn't even watch a motivational YouTube video without hyperventilating. I was completely at capacity. I was completely at, I couldn't take anything. I mean, it was the worst, one of the worst feelings I thought I felt in my life. Like just to give the, you know, everybody an example, I actually thought I might be, I might have cancer or like heart disease or some, some debilitating mm -hmm. physical problem. I could not move. I was in bed, like feeling paralyzed most of the day. I wasn't able to go outside. I really wasn't able to work as much as I was like, oh no, there's no way I could take off work. I couldn't work. I mm. could not work. It wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't an option. <laughs> yeah. Your body, I remember your body shut down. It was completely shut down. And mm. imagine my surprise when all my test results come back and I'm perfectly healthy physically. Mm -hmm. the paralysis, the, the feelings that I had in my body. And I was in pain. I was in a lot of pain. I was actually in so much pain. Like part of the, the thing of me not being able to move, I was in pain, like constant pain all day. And it was all mental and emotional. Um, it just was manifesting in my body, like all the trauma. And a lot of things had come up for me, you know, like things I never dealt with were in that moment, they were all coming up mm -hmm. and it was all of that trauma, like just coming back. So I had to do something different. And that's when things started changing for me. I went into the program. I let everything go. I got treatment and I learned how to identify the thoughts that were not serving me. I learned how to reframe. I learned how to continue asking for help because that's the main thing. I mean, if I can leave anybody with anything, is that, oh, if you are dealing with something, there is help out there for it. You may feel alone in that moment, um, based on how you're feeling, like nobody would understand, people will judge me. There is so much help in the world that mm -hmm. we don't realize is out there that we can tap into. And literally just 
taking this this these problems that in my life I felt were insurmountable at the time, asking for help, I found an oasis of help out help out there, help for depression, help for anxiety, help for processing past trauma, help for ADHD. Um, I told you I have I have two daughters that are on the spectrum. There's help for parenting children on the spectrum. There is help for anything that you're dealing with out there, but you have to ask and you have to seek it out and you have to be vulnerable enough and uh, dog like doggone it enough as my mom would say. <laughs> you have to be doggone enough to actually go out there and get it and be patient with yourself. Yeah. In the journey as you receive the help that you need. Yeah. And in and, and getting that help, you do have to be vulnerable and courageous. And courageous is always, to me, is doing things afraid. Like the difference between brave and courageous, I looked it up because, you know, mm-hmm. I always look up words. Yeah. And courageous is doing things when you're afraid uh, and when you're fearful. And then brave is just you just do this thing and there's no sense of even fear there. Um, just for, if any case anyone wants to know. But um, it's not that you're waiting till you feel okay. And just to um, highlight, because uh, I know Kafria doesn't mind, is that she did take FLMA, uh, which you can take FLMA for mental health, does not have to be just for physical illness. And um, if you're actually wanting more information, my friend Jasmine has a podcast on that, and I'll put that in the show notes where she talks a lot about FLMA um, in particular for black women. So I'll put that in there. And then also, um, when you went to a program, I just want to highlight the type of, not where you went, but just the program that she went to is a PHP, which is a partial hospitalized, partial hospitalization program. Um, so it's not, um, inpatient in a hospital. It's a, a day program when you go five days a week for about, what did you go for a month? You went there I, six weeks? I went, for, I went for seven weeks, actually. Seven weeks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so PHP is where you go for um, five days a week and then you step down to IOP, yeah. um, which is like uh, three three days a week. Um, mm-hmm. That's intensive outpatient program. Yeah. Um, and that's what you kind of step down to. So that's, and you're there throughout the day with various group sessions individual sessions educational sessions and that is that would be um just to explain to everyone that is just a step up from if you're going to see your therapist weekly and then you step up to php or io pre-program if you need some extra support inpatient is actually the last um people think oh i'm gonna go to a hospital Inpatient is more suicidal, homicidal, you really can't manage. So you actually don't have to go into a hospital straight away. Um, if you're seeing a therapist, you may just go one step up, but depending how severe you are, you may go into an inpatient um, for about a week. But even then, if you go inpatient, you still would step down to like a PHP or IOP program. Um, so I just wanted to share that because people always worry about well does that mean I have to go into this hospital inpatient and even if you're suicidal you don't even have to go in hospital it just depends how safe you don't think you feel so there's um passive suicidal thoughts um or active where you don't feel safe and a lot of people feel scared about that so I just want to um highlight that to people who may be in your situation where you were um and don't allow themselves to take rest or, you know, feel vulnerable or powerless or have all these reasons why maybe they can't ask for help. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I just want to emphasize that even more that it is the absolute best decision aside from marrying my husband. One of the things I'm most grateful that I ever did was actually participate in that partial hospitalization program. I had no idea how much help you can get if you actually can devote, just think about that, five days a week devoting, you know, five to eight hours a day to your mental health, to your healing, because we've been through so much. I mean, life can be very hard, you know, like we go through a lot of things. Like a lot of people think about trauma and they think, oh, I would have had to have gone to war or I've had to have been in a terrible car accident and survived, not realizing that we encounter things in our, in our lives as children that have traumatized us, you know, and that we're, we're living with this trauma and we're, we've got all these, these things that we're doing to just cope and survive with this trauma. Well, if you can just set aside some time for yourself to devote to your healing, it is, I mean, it, it is the difference between night and day the quality of life you can have if you spend time and invest in your healing. And mm-hmm. I would have never known that. I, I never knew that that level of, um, of investment like into your healing was even possible until I learned about the kind of care you can get in a, in a PHP and IOP. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're coming to the end, you know, us, we could talk forever, but we're coming to the end what is something that is messy in your life? So this could be something physical in your house, in your car, or Mm -hmm. emotional, mental. Yeah, well, so it's it's messy now. There's a lot of mess, (laughs) but um, beautiful mess. Um, So this week is actually the anniversary. Like my my son was born on March 12th in 2018. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this past Saturday was his birthday. So in, in my mind, you know, I'm actually off work this week to take some vacation. Um, I made this space where I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take off work and make some space to just enjoy and, you know, have some time to remember fondly, uh, you know, my son and all the change that he brought in my life, um, even though his life was very short. And uh, I planned it all out and it was going to be perfect. It was just going to be so perfect. This perfect time of grief. Uh, well, it wasn't perfect. I, I had a meltdown last week that I hadn't planned on. I planned it. had It was supposed to be this week. <laughs> this was the, speak, the week I was supposed to have time to melt down and then, you know, wipe my tears away. But instead it happened last week and I completely hit a wall. Um, I, I melted down and, you know, just went into like this. It felt like an acute depression where I was, I was completely happy. And then one day I couldn't get out of bed and my body was hurting and I couldn't breathe. And I had to, you know, talk to my therapist. I had to take off work and I had to take some time. And it was, it was, it was really messy for me because even of my journey of like overcoming perfectionism, I had to realize in that moment that I had actually applied a lot of perfectionism to, to my grief journey that I actually had, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna make some space for myself, but I made some space in a little box (laughs) (laughs) and life is, does not want to be lived in a box. It just does Mm. not, it will not. Mm. So, um, so that's been messy. Um, So Mm. what I've, what I've had to allow myself is just to give myself permission um, 
to grieve. Give myself permission to grieve. Even it's been four years. I had a, a little a voice in there that was like, oh, four years is long enough for you to be having this type of reaction. You should be over this or you should be beyond this type of reaction. I discounted the fact, you know, like, why are you not able to work? You know, because you're just too sad. Like that that was weak. So that was messy. And that's something I literally just went through, you know, a couple of days ago. We had to reschedule the, <laughs> yes. to reschedule the podcast. So um, yeah, that was messy, but it's it's okay. And it's been a it's been a beautiful moment to, of of getting to a new level of permission, mm-hmm. a deeper level of permission um regarding the situation. And I was just thinking yesterday how this this whole um relationship with me and my son has brought so much depth into my life Mm. I mean I actually I was so happy yesterday I was crying so this you know a few days ago I had a meltdown but yesterday I was so happy that I was just crying with happiness I was just overwhelmed with joy and I was appreciating how even though life will sometimes dip you down low that it will take you back so high like in terms of how beautiful life can be if you just let yourself feel the feelings give yourself grace and just let yourself heal so that's beauty and mess for me today oh I love that I think that's a perfect way to end Mm -hmm. Freya and I just want to thank you for your time your wisdom you dropped so many gems um can you tell the audience how can they connect with you or shower you with love sure sure and it's my pleasure I love you so much and I love this podcast um they can find me on Instagram um I am Freya Hart on Instagram f-r-e-e-y-a-h h-e-a-r-t um, on Instagram. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. I'm not really doing a lot of platforms or anything right now, but if they want to reach out to me there, they are welcome to, and I would love to hear about it. I mean, I, I do want to say if anyone has dealt with anything with stillbirth or miscarriage or anything of that nature, um, I'm, or even, um, it, regarding neurodivergency, like I have two daughters on the spectrum, which is, that's very difficult. Um, and, me and my husband both have ADHD. If anyone ever wants to reach out to me for, you know, to say, hey, I've been through the same thing or, hey, I need, I need prayer or, hey, what did, what did you do? You know, like I'm there and I would love for you to, to reach out for me. I'm open to any, any kind of contact like that. Okay, love it. Well, thank you. And all that information will also go in the show notes. And thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Bianca. I am honored to be your friend and to be invited to your podcast. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I loved just interviewing my friend and hearing her and just how much she's grown. I think I have a bit more of a personal connection and a bit more of a bias because I know how far she's come. And of course, she didn't say share all the gory details. However, you know, just like I said in the beginning, we can just stop the interview here because she just said everything at the beginning. But great, I'm grateful that we were able to go just a bit more into depth of her story. I know um, 
I still got takeaways, even though I know her, even though I heard her story, there are still some takeaways that I personally got from talking to Kafria. My first one is the fact that letting go actually helped Kafria, helped her be all she wanted to be. Sometimes we think we have to hold on and have things a certain way and we stay in control and say, no, it can only be done this way. But actually letting go and being open to the process of her healing helped her to be what she was trying to be in the first place. Number two, the fact that we learn from what is not spoken. We see, especially as children, I always say this, children pay more attention to your action than your words. And the fact that she did not see her parents resting or a mother resting, that she, that was ingrained in her. And then for me, where I'd see my mother traveling, that has become ingrained in me. So I think that was really fascinating and just really interesting to kind of take him. Number three, life might already be messy. Kafria talked about she was trying to be this perfect thing and not let her life fall apart when it was actually falling apart in the first place. So it's, you know, it's like a stopgap for us to think, okay, why am I doing all these things? What am I trying to avoid? What's my goal? And if I'm trying to avoid destruction or the worst thing ever happening, is it already happening or has it already happened? And I think that's a really good place to kind of journal about and kind of think about in your own life and reflect on that. And lastly, there is power in letting go. Let me say that again. There is power in letting go. Often we feel like if we hold on as tight, like my fists are like really tight, we think that if we hold really tight, that we're holding on to everything we can and nothing can get to us. And the truth is when we hold our fists tight, we're not opening up our palms to allow us to receive. So there is power in letting go. Again, don't forget to share the podcast. Um, You can send Kofria a DM. All of our information is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to also invite a friend to listen to. Until next time. Thank you for listening to It Didn't Break Me. If you like this episode, please follow the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please don't forget to share this with a friend and you can tag me on Instagram with your takeaway from this episode at Authentically Be You. If you want to keep abreast of upcoming episodes, please sign up for the newsletter on the podcast website, It Didn't Break Me. And remember to discover the beauty within the mess.